the 1916 season. In only their fourth season in the conference, Ohio State claimed the Western Conference Championship. Under the leadership of coach John Wills, Ohio State had taken a seat among the big players in college football. They ran through a tough Illinois team and finally got over the hurdle of Wisconsin. The landscape of college football as ever was changing, responding to the realities of the moment both near and far. And two events, entirely out of Ohio State's control, would prove to shape the fortune of the program moving forward. The first was the rejoining of the Western Conference by a team that had been kicked out years before. Who was that team? Michigan. The Western Conference kicked out the Wolverines in 1907 due to compliance issues. The breakup left some bad blood. The conference banned the Wolverines from playing its teams. Back in 1907, Ohio State was a member of the Ohio Athletic Conference, so the Wolverines picked up the Buckeyes regularly on their scheduling. And the two teams squared off every year from 1907 to 1912. When Ohio State joined the Western Conference in 1913, the Wolverines were still banned from playing its teams. So, the game was not played. That was history now. As the 1917 season approached, the Wolverines rejoined the Western Conference. Schedules had already been made up for the season ahead, so Michigan would only play a single conference foe in Northwestern. Yet, Ohio State's coach John Wills took notice that the school in Ann Arbor would soon be a future foe. Now, with Michigan back in the Western Conference, it gave the conference 10 teams in a nickname that stuck for good, the Big Ten. The second event that shaped Ohio State's future and the world's was war. World War I raged on across the Atlantic in Europe. President Woodrow Wilson's policy of neutrality had kept America out of the war. It was a popular policy with the American public, but events would soon snap America into action. British intelligence intercepted a message by German Foreign Secretary Arthur Zimmerman. The message proposed an alliance between Germany and Mexico if the U.S. entered the war effort. Going further, it said that Germany would fight to recover territory Mexico lost in the Mexican-American War, including New Mexico, Arizona, and Texas. The telegram was the last straw. By early April, Wilson went before Congress and asked for a declaration of war against Germany. In the face of the war effort, college football suddenly seemed a distant concern. The biggest powers in football, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, they all canceled their seasons in deference to the war effort. The fight was not to be found on the gridiron, it was to be found overseas. Soon the schools that chose to play on in 1917 came under criticism for doing so. Those schools countered that the college game improved morale for fans in the service. The season would also feature dozens of benefit games scheduled around the country to raise funds for the war effort. OSU Athletic Director Lynn St. John released a statement committing Ohio State to play on in 1917. St. John said, All branches of athletics will be held as usual this year, whether we have any experienced athletes in school or not. So, as Ohio State defended its first ever Big Ten crown in 1917, even playing college football was under attack. Coach Wills was undaunted. He knew many players would soon join the service and not see the field. Any star, from third-year quarterback Howard Yurges to All-American halfback Chick Harley, could see their seasons cut short. Still, Ohio State was loaded. The Lantern Ohio State student newspaper previewed the season to come. 
Ohio State football's team took on a more formidable appearance. Chick has made out a schedule and will enter school today. Like Yerges, he feels that although he may be called to Army service at any time, he can spend his time more profitably in school than any other place. OSU's line looks strong too. Kelly Van Dyne would anchor the center, flanked at tackles by Howard Courtney and his brother Harold. Charles Shifty Boland returned at end. They all look to be glittering talents, poised for another big year. And the younger talents seem just as dynamic too. Gaylord Stinchcomb, who friends just called Pete, joined Harley in the backfield. Stinchcomb was an athlete, and maybe he was a cat in his previous lives. When Stinchcomb was a freshman, he was chasing his roommate around the dorm and horsing around in a game of all-out tag. He kind of lost track of what Floyd was on, and when his roommate went to hide on the window ledge, Stinchcomb stepped out of the window, not realizing that he was on the third floor. A frequent practitioner of tumbling, Stinchcomb instinctively went into a somersault. He landed uneventfully on the ground, free from injury. He reflected on the fall in the pages of the lantern. Tumbling is an art that saved my life, Pete then added. Don't try it. The path to the Big Ten Championship would go through Wisconsin and Illinois again. Wisconsin was tough enough, and this season they were to open a new stadium that would make it even more difficult for visiting opponents. They would call the stadium Camp Randall. If the Buckeyes survived the tilt in Madison, a home game against Illinois awaited. The Illini were still smarting from a 7-6 loss a year ago. Illinois coach Robert Zupke, who'd won national championships, was not lacking for any confidence. Zup said his team would be as good as ever. But Wilson knew the season was more about beating up on Big Ten foes. It was also about Ohio State doing its part in the war effort. The final two games of the season would do just that. They would be benefits for the troops. OSU would travel to Auburn in late November, then take on the troops of Chillicothe's Camp Sherman to close the year in Columbus. Shortly before the season kicked off, the team received a letter from Swink Botten, who captained the Buckeyes two years prior. Swink was writing from somewhere in France as part of a veterinary unit working to support the cavalry divisions. Botten's words were emblematic of the time. He was far from home, but the Buckeyes were close to his heart. Botten said he would be thinking of the boys at all times. His letter closed with the hope that another football championship would come to OSU in the fall. For Wills, for Ohio State, for the entire country, it would be an exceptional year. These, after all, were exceptional times, but no one could anticipate just how exceptional it would be. Wills' men readied for Season 5 in the Big Ten. In the well-oiled machine that was Ohio State, the machine that saw the Buckeyes claim their first ever Big Ten championship crown a year before, that machine roared into ferocious form. Case, Ohio Wesleyan, Northwestern, Denison, Ohio State outscored them 209-0, surging to a 4-0 mark. Indiana would put up a little bit more of a fight, actually scoring some points, but the Hoosiers were no match and dispatched 26-3. Now, at 5-0, the Buckeyes headed up to Madison for their first ever contest in Camp Randall Stadium. The Badgers looked ready for the fight. Wisconsin's record stood at 3-1-1. The Badgers had gotten off to a slower start, drawing a good Notre Dame side and coming up short 7-0 on the road against Robert Zupke's powerful Illinois squad. But 
Wisconsin rebounded. They easily handled Iowa and sprang an upset on undefeated Minnesota in the dedication game for Camp Randall one week ago. Now the Buckeyes came calling, and Coach Wills would see a familiar face on the opposing sideline, John Richards. Richards coached the Buckeyes in 1912, then bolted for an opportunity outside the football ranks. Now, he had returned to the sidelines in Madison. Wills had served as an assistant to Richards in 1911 at Wisconsin, and it was Richards who had recommended Wills to be the head man at OSU after he had bolted the program. Could Wills, the protege, defeat Richards, his old coach? Wisconsin was brimming with confidence with their victory over Minnesota and came out and punched the Buckeyes in the mouth. The game was ferocious, the hardest fought of any between the teams to date. Harley could not get anything on the ground going. Wisconsin's line held firm. The Badgers jumped out to a 3-0 lead, the first time the Buckeyes had trailed all year. But you couldn't keep Harley bottled up forever. Schick turned to the passing attack and hit Shifty Bowen for a long touchdown out of a fake kick formation. Later, he connected with Hap Courtney in the open field on a fake punt. Hap barreled down near the goal line before Yurgis scored on a QB sneak. Harley would add to his day by drop kicking a 40-yard field goal in the fourth quarter. The Buckeyes were victorious, 16-3. It was Wisconsin's first ever loss at Camp Randall Stadium and OSU's first ever victory in Madison. Camp Randall may have had enough magic to beat Minnesota, but against Chick Harley, even when he shut down the run, he still found a way to burn you with the pass. The lantern recalled the scene. Wisconsin did what other teams have failed to do in the last two years. They kept Harley from gaining, but it was Chick's almost uncanny accuracy in hurling forward passes and his ability to outpunt Simpson that had a great effect on the result. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The Buckeyes were 6-0. Now the attention turned to their clash with another undefeated foe looking for revenge. Undefeated Illinois was coming to Columbus. Under Coach Zupke, the Illini were flying. Illinois had yet to allow anyone, any of their previous five opponents to score. This game would decide the conference championship. If the Buckeyes won, they were back-to-back -back conference champs. If Illinois won and finished out the season with a win against Minnesota, they would be the champs. As intensity built for the contest around campus, with a huge champions pep rally leading into the game, the war remained at the front lines of the team's mind. Star OSU quarterback Howard Yurges received orders to report the coming Monday at a recruiting station in Columbus. He was headed to Hampton Roads, Virginia to join the war effort. For 11 players, Illinois would mark their last conference tilt. Brothers Howard and Harold Courtney at tackles, Shifty Bowen at end, Van Dyne at center, and of course Yurges at quarterback. This was their last run together. But even still, the brightest spotlight leading into the game remained on what Harley would do. The Lantern headline summed it up. Chick, quiet, unassuming, is bearing the weight of expectations held by thousands of admirers. 
Another Lantern story framed the day in stark terms for the team and student body alike. Each one must do his or her part. The crisis is here. Rise to the occasion. Largest crowd ever for an Ohio State football game was anticipated. Wherever bleachers or boxes could fit in, they were being constructed to balloon Ohio Field's capacity to 14,000. It was game day. The fans greeted Ohio State with thunderous applause. Ohio State, who a year ago had been taken on a tour of the Fighting Illini's trophy case, now had a conference trophy of their own. Wills, who preached intestinal fortitude, stared across the sideline at Zupke, who already had a national championship to his name. Illinois would not be intimidated by this upstart Ohio State team. Illinois was here to spoil the day. Hartley's golden toe booted a field goal in the first quarter to jump out to a 3-0 lead. The first points Illinois had allowed all season. This would be a violent game with little movement by either side. The score of 3 to nothing standing until the fourth quarter. Then Harley, the quiet, modest Harley, with more expectations on him than any player in OSU history. Well, Harley shined brightest. Harley motioned a pass to his left, then turned back against the flow of the defense and hit Howard Courtney for a wide-open touchdown. Chick added an extra point to make it 10 to nothing. For good measure, Harley added another field goal. Illinois would not score a single point. The Buckeyes had done it, back-to-back -back conference champions. Mighty Illinois, mighty Illinois was defeated. The lantern beamed. Ohio State, only five years a member of the Western Conference by defeating Illinois 13 to nothing Saturday, won its second successive football championship. Surrounded by a crowd of 15,000 football fans, the largest gathering yet to see an Ohio State team play, the Buckeyes outplayed their opponents in the hardest fought and cleanest gridiron battle ever staged on Ohio field. Possessing everything a championship team should have, a stonewall defense when a score threatened, and a final punch when close to an opponent's goal, Ohio State was supreme. The Big Ten schedule was over, but the season was not. Two benefit games remain for the Buckeyes to support the war effort across the Atlantic. The first included a rare trip down south against a team they had never played before, Auburn. An impressive win would go far in making the case for another prize, Ohio State's first ever national championship. National championships in college football have always been a little bit confusing. Today we debate if the fourth team should be in the playoff or not. Before we debated if computers really made a whole lot of sense in determining who made the BCS. And before that, conferences fed into historical bowl ties, often leading to scenarios where the top two teams were squaring off against lower-ranked foes. That's the college football we know, hate, and love. Good teams rise to the top. But in the end, it's always a little bit messy. And it was especially messy in 1917. There was only a single bowl game, the Rose Bowl. The granddaddy was first played in 1902 and then was played annually beginning in 1916. Why the break in the action? Well, fielding Yost point a minute, Michigan team so overwhelmed Stanford in 1902 that the Rose Bowl replaced football for more than a decade with Roman-style chariot races, polo, and even the occasional ostrich race. 
The major bowls we think of today, the orange bowl, cotton bowl, sugar bowl, you name it, they didn't come around until the 30s as an effort to boost tourism to various warm weather destinations. And in the 1930s, before the embargo was a notion in Washington, even Cuba got into the action. Auburn and Villanova squared off in the Bacardi Bowl. Yes, you heard that right. The Bacardi Bowl, based in Havana, Cuba. But that was all to come. And in the 1917 season, the only real game in town was the Rose Bowl. And appropriately, the Rose Bowl would host a charity game between the Marine Corps and the Army to raise money for the war effort. For the Buckeyes, the charity games left on their schedule were an opportunity to put the cherry on top of a stellar season. And by far the biggest game in terms of making a case for the national championship was the clash with Auburn. The Buckeyes had dispatched Wisconsin. They had defeated mighty Illinois, but against Auburn, they were an incomplete side. By the time the Auburn game star quarterback Howard Yurges was on his way to join the war effort. Without Yurges, who was also the play caller, the Buckeyes offense sputtered to a 0-0 draw against the Tigers. OSU easily rebounded in the final charity game, defeating Camp Sherman from Chillicothe 28 to nothing. But national attention would be on another match that week. As OSU went to work against Camp Sherman, an undefeated Georgia Tech side coached by legend John Heisman trounced Auburn 68-7. With Georgia Tech and Ohio State both undefeated and Georgia Tech passing the eye test against a common opponent, influential national media declared Tech national champions. Controversy reigned. Ohio State was undefeated. But they weren't the only ones. So was Pittsburgh, so was Texas, so was Washington State. It was all messy. At the end of the day, it was all no matter who wore the largely mythical national championship crown. After all, that was determined by people in press boxes. What Ohio State could control, what Coach Wills had accomplished, was no short of breathtaking success. For two years, only Ohio State's fourth and fifth year in the Big Ten Conference, the Buckeyes were back-to-back champions. Now, attention turned to a more pressing effort. After winning back-to-back conference titles, the Buckeyes would do their part to win the war. Chick Harley headed to Wilbur Wright Flying School in Dayton to become an airman. Pete Stinchcomb headed to Chicago to join the Navy. The season that followed in 1918 was largely washed out by war as college football stars left for the battlefield. The Buckeyes notched a 3-3 mark. World War I ended on November 11, 1918. 53,000 troops lost their lives. A war-weary nation got back to work and turned its attention to brighter days to come. In Columbus, football was now a hit attraction. Already, plans were in motion for a new stadium, one that would be a jewel of football not only in Ohio, but to the nation. Chick Harley would be a senior in 1919. But for all the success the Buckeyes had achieved, standing in their way, between their past rise and their bright future was a school that they had never beaten before. In 1919, for the first time at full strength, Ohio State would clash with an opponent that had long outclassed them on the field, an opponent with one of the best coaches in college football history, a school that had just rejoined the Big Ten to make a run for a third Big Ten title. Harley, the senior, would have to do something no Buckeye team, no Buckeye coach had ever done before. The Buckeyes would have to finally beat Michigan.
Hey there, thanks for listening to I Want to Go Back, a podcast about the people, places, and events that shaped Ohio State football. I'm your host, Jim Baird. This podcast is part of Land Grant Holy Land's network of Buckeye podcasts. If you did like what you listened to, please feel free to give us a five-star rating and share it with your friends. Music for this season was provided by Fields Ohio, Fool's Fire, and Nick Jados. Thanks to you for really helping bring the, the history of the game to life with your music. A podcast like this builds on great research already out there. If you want to read more, I'd encourage you to check out a couple of things, including the official Ohio State Football Encyclopedia by the legendary Jack Park, and check the extraordinary rise of Ohio State football in the tragic schoolboy athlete who made it happen by Bob Hunter. Both of those books were invaluable resources as I put this series together. Thanks, and go Bucks.